Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob, Zach, and Ben. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Ben. And vitamin C isn't going to remove a 12-inch stab wound from his lower intestines, Jill. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, that was like the the only quote I had. And I was like, since that quote is the only one that really stands out, other than like some of the the, the dude dresses Uncle Sam, his like monologue. I I didn't write that whole thing down, though. But I was like, if Ben has a quote, it's going to be that one. So my backup was, you know how I love simple, which gets said by the villain like 20 times. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think we might need to address the fact that I'm in the intro this time. It finally happened. The the cinema audience has seen me and Zach in the same room. (laughs) They know that I'm not Zach anymore. So that's right, everybody. Ben is in the intro now. Oh, yes. Where is Zach, actually? That's a good question. So, of course, whenever he's not here, um, it, it's, you know, it can't be that, you know, we're discussing a movie that was recommended to us, which, of course, we'll get into, under the guise of, this is so terrible, people I know can't even get through the whole thing. That's not it. He's working at the restaurant. That's why. And, of course, at the restaurant, what he's working on this week is he's trying to find us a good deal on bulk bottled waters and bottled Powerade. Because I don't know if Ben knows this, but whenever we have customers, we give them bottled water and bottled Powerade, whether or not they ask for it and whether or not they want it. So we go through a lot of it. Even though, you know, some of it doesn't get opened or used, they still touch it. Somebody touches it. So that's no good. And we always try and be sanitary at the restaurant. (laughs) Well, especially with coronavirus, once it's been touched by the person handing it out i think it has to be disposed of yes exactly so so uh we're we're trying to, we're just going through them like like nobody's business and zach's trying to find a good bulk deal for him so we can keep that going <laughs> okay um do we do we recycle those bottles what do we uh res- recite what is that word what is that what does that it's, word uh, mean <laughs> it's it's when you like take an empty water bottle and you like fill it back up and then you close it oh, again oh it's like we make a bicycle out of them yeah. Oh, yeah, no, we should do that. <laughs> we should make a we should re-bicycle our water bottles. That's a great idea, man. <laughs> uh, I think you can use like lighters and stuff. And I I there's a video online. I think like a 12-year-old has made a video telling us how to re-bicycle water bottles. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so on on the topic of recycling, just as a quick tangent before we jump into it. I do have to I I love the story. I don't know if you remember it, Ben, but it was like, you know, I've always been fine with recycling. If you really pick my brain on it, there's some stuff that annoys me. Like the people who are like, I put something in a blue bin. That means I'm recycling. And it's like, oh, Jesus. You know, it's like there's things that are very inexpensive to recycle. Some things are not worth recycling. That's a whole different thing. But I'm fine with it. I'm totally for it. I love the fact that whenever I've been to Pennsylvania and I'll, like, go to, like, Nick's parents' house or something and I'll be like, do you recycle? Like, where should I put, like, these bottles or something? And Nick's like, no, my dad just burns all of our garbage. <laughs> and I'm like, that is a strange thing, I think. Like, I get burning some of your garbage, like maybe sensitive material. But, like, everything, like, like you could compost that, some of it at least. <laughs> I, I know that my fiancé's parents burned some of their garbage. I've had them burn sensitive documents for me. Oh, see, see, that's not bad. But just, like, having a fire pit dedicated to, oh, we got another trash bag full. Let's just light it up. <laughs> 
So I, I felt kind of bad because I gave him like two boxes full of papers and he had to stand there for like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> throwing papers. Oh, man, I felt bad. I, uh, I For whatever reason, it didn't occur to me that you can't just burn all of that at once. Yes, yes. The uh, One of the last times I burnt uh, paperwork and stuff, I do it in like a little – I don't have as much uh, or a, a lot. And so I do it in like a little like stainless steel bowl in my backyard. And I videotaped it, and the Immortal Lansbury's used some of that for a music video. It was good fun. So at least I try and make something of it. <laughs> I've, I've used, like, a wire mesh trash can before. Oh, okay. Uh, when, when I lived in that apartment that had the waterfall in the backyard, mm-hmm. for the for the cinema audience, what I mean by backyard is there was, like, a small parking lot, and then behind it there were some woods, and there was, like, an old basketball hoop that had, <laughs> oh, yeah. that had been discarded there. And when it rained... Sometimes it would create like a waterfall effect off of that basketball hoop, um, <laughs> yes. and, I, and I and I burned. I took a wire mesh trash can and I burned a bunch of documents in between two vehicles that did not belong to me. So, nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I had to I had to keep it like pretty far away from the apartment. <laughs> I didn't want to catch it on fire. Yep, yep, absolutely. All right, good good tangent about uh, you know half arson. I guess it, uh, it, <laughs> I, I think environmental responsibility is what you're trying to say. Okay, okay, I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody, go to Pennsylvania and burn your garbage with my friends. <laughs> All right, so I think with that out of the way, we can now get into uh, our first main order of business. Well, I guess maybe second, because we talked about where Zach was. We have to promote the Patreon. And I believe, well, no, I think... Uh, It'll actually have been out when uh, the previous week's episode came out, but now there are actually a total of three things uploaded uh, for bonus content. So October's over, we have the two of those, and then we have a movie that Ben and I discussed on November 1st. And um, I think you said it once, Ben, you know, check out the Patreon for bonus content that is kind of like the main Cinemodities content. I would say this last episode we recorded for the first half, it's very much like a Cinemodities episode. And then I think we, I haven't finished editing yet, but I think for like the next half, we just talk about everything else. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Didn't I, I think I pitched uh, Complainamodities. Yeah, something along those lines. Cineplaints, something like that. Yep, yep, something like that. You get to hear me bitch about some things yes, if you uh, want to listen. It's, we... Don't get me wrong. Like, <laughs> I, I, unlike normal people bitching, I, I don't think my bitching is whiny at all. Rob can attest to this maybe if he wants to. Uh, but it's good fun and it's high energy. That's, I think that's the best way to describe my bitching. I don't know. I'm pretty sure in that episode you say, you know, it verbatim and with the same intonation. Why is math got to be racist? <laughs> and he stamps his feet a little bit, which I couldn't edit out because he was still like, it was, it was not whiny at all. <laughs> um, that sounds right. I remember saying that. <laughs> no, it is. I think it is good fun. Um, like, like we said, and I think in the, the first episode we did ever on the Patreon um, if anybody ever listens to it, you know that we we definitely like to go off the rails and tie in these different things. Um, but we definitely get at the movie for sure. So so it's not like you're just listening to <laughs> random rambling. You know, it's just like chunks of random rambling. <laughs> I don't know if they're listening to the Cinemodities podcast. Aren't they getting random rambling? Yeah, they got they got to be used to it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. I hope you're used to it. Anything you wanted to say about the Patreon, Ben? I'm just I just I do want to say I'm really disappointed in the cinema audience. We don't have we don't have 1500 patrons yet and yes. I'm pretty 
I'm pretty dismayed. I thought we would get to 1% of the world population in no time. Clearly, that's yeah. not the case. <laughs> to be honest, Rob, I don't know how we can be this bad at projecting things. I think it has to be our audience's fault. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Our our um, Microsoft Excel models are not wrong. <laughs> uh, no, I don't, I don't have anything serious to say. Come check out the Patreon. Uh, give us your money. Enjoy the nonsense. It's good fun. Yes. Uh, and let us know what you think, because we, we do want to tailor it to some degree towards what you guys want. So. Exactly. All right. Okay. Then that brings us to the main event for today. Of course, this is another episode in Fansgiving, in which we are taking some fan requests. And this week, we are covering a request from someone that the cinema audience is very familiar with. We haven't heard from in a while. I think the last time was around the... Uh, the Vanilla Sky episode at the beginning of this year, 2020, and then we heard from him when he asked us a great question, you know, how do you, what movie would you watch to introduce someone to a cinemodity? We did a little bonus episode on that. But of course, if you know these things, know these episodes, then of course we are talking about Barry. And now the first thing and foremost thing I have to tell you, Ben, Barry is not his real name. Barry is an alias we've given him because one of the first things he reached out to us about was pretty personally sensitive, and so we decided to give him an alias, but still talk about it on the episode. <laughs> I I hope that the personally sensitive thing either had to do with him being very large and hairy, or him being unclothed. So you just took one of those words, Un- bear, bear, unclothed is probably the best way to say it because it was very sexually explicit. <laughs> so this is a b a r e y Barry. Ooh, okay, okay, I like that. Uh, I don't think it's ever been spelled anywhere. So, now it has been. Yep, yeah, perfect. So we got an email from Barry um, a little while ago. It was actually back in May, and he said, perfect, uh, perfect subject line, movie suggestion, period. <laughs> so that's the whole subject. And he says, I found a movie about a year ago at my local used movie store. It's called All Superheroes Must Die, directed by Jason Trost. It is by far the worst movie I have ever seen, and I love it. I love to show it to anyone I can trap in my house for an hour and a half. I just recently showed it to some of my best friends, and one of them stood up and said, I can't take it anymore, and went home, which made me love this movie even more. I would love to hear both of your opinions of this movie if you are interested. In the meantime, I'm going to try and find a copy of Eraserhead to watch. So... We hope you found, Barry, a copy of Eraserhead to check out, because that's always good fun. But yes, when this was pitched to us, I put it on the list for uh, Fansgiving, and when we were picking out these episodes and going through it, I saw that one on, on our list, so I didn't go back to his email initially, and I first was like, all superheroes must die. Oh my god, I don't want to do anything else superhero-related ever again. <laughs> and so when I went back to the email... I reminded myself that he said it's terrible, people couldn't get through it, and I was like, now that makes me interested. Because anytime there's movies that are like, people like, I can't get through it, you know, this is the worst movie I've ever seen, I'm like, well, let's check it out. Like, I'm a moth to the flame with some of that stuff. So that's why we're discussing it today. And right off the bat, Barry, this was a great choice. I have so much to say about this movie. I have so much to say about the behind the scenes of this movie. We're going to get into the sequel a little bit because there's a fucking sequel to this movie. But today we are discussing All Superheroes Must Die. And I think 
where we should start is for both of us, Ben, um, I don't think either of us had ever heard of this or seen it prior to watching it for this discussion. I have to say, when I watched it, it's what I would call an atrocity, but I did not have trouble sitting through it. Like, I think that I was able to convince myself of so much else. Like, I was more interested in the filmmaking and the set design and the incredibly small budget of this movie that that kept me going. But I could see if someone's like, I don't care about any of that stuff. Why is a set piece a trampoline with a fence around it? <laughs> like, they're not going to want to watch this because it's, it's, some of it is rough to see with the acting and whatnot. But I didn't, I didn't have any trouble getting through the whole, I think it's 77 minutes, you know, with no, credits. I, I do have to say, um, for this person who said, I can't take it anymore, and they, they got and stormed out, I mean, either they're a complete bitch or they had a really hard day because, <laughs> like, that this movie, I would not say that it was hard to watch. I will say it was hard to enjoy. Sure. But, uh, but no, I didn't have any trouble sitting through it. Uh-huh. I, I remember at some point pausing it and be like, oh, shit, I'm already halfway through it. <laughs> like, there's, there's, like, nothing left. Yeah, it was quite refreshing to watch a movie that was less than 80 minutes. Yeah, and I mean it. It has a plot. Mm-hmm. There's there's not really any character development. So like in terms of in terms of like a movie being fully like a full movie, like oh we require plot, we require like that that story element. Typically, character development is involved, but they they leave that out and they cut out forty five minutes of the movie. So that as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> yes. that was a good decision given given everything I saw. Yes. So, so, okay, I'm good. I'm glad we both feel that way. This, uh, yeah, I'm just imagining that you bring up a good point. It's like, what was going through that person's head who said they couldn't take it? You know, especially watching it with other people like that would be like the case where I would imagine you wouldn't turn it off because there's enough to laugh at in this movie. Oh, absolutely. I would say so many funny things about this movie while watching it. Yeah. Yeah. This would be a great like commentary movie or something, you know? Oh yeah. MST3K style silhouettes down in the bottom. I'm just, I'm just imagining like somebody's watching this movie or any movie in a group of people and then they just get up and they go, Oh yeah, I forgot I hate movies and they leave. <laughs> like that's just, that's how obscure it seems to me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't disagree. It it seems like a childish thing to do. Like I'm saying, I think they they had to be having a hard day. Maybe their wife was cheating on them and they found out about that <laughs> earlier in the day and they were like, I came here to get my mind off of some things and all I'm seeing is this movie about a failed romance. And I don't... That, yeah, definitely. That would be uh, that would be something for sure. So, so I think uh, now that we we both said that we didn't have trouble sitting through it, but we did have trouble enjoying it. This was the thing that I latched onto. There's so much of this movie where I'm like, there's something weird with the camera work. It's really shaky, and even when it cuts to like the security cam footage from overhead, sometimes it's still shaky. And I'm like, that's a strange thing. I was like, why is Jason Trost playing the whole movie with half of his face covered? Oh, it turns out he's blind in his right eye, so he always covers that side of his face. I I was like, why can't they move the camera back from anybody's face? This whole movie is almost complete close-ups of our characters, and I'm like, is this because they didn't have like the ability to loop afterwards, so they needed to get the actors as close to the microphones as possible to get good dialogue? Or is it because Jason Trost has no depth perception and he can't block a frame? Like, I was so enthralled by some of this stuff. And so here's what I found. There's a lot of background I did in this movie. This movie cost $20,000. That is not a lot, but wait till we get to the sequel and how much that costs. (laughs) 
not only did this movie have such an incredibly limited budget, it was rushed. So I think the first thing to say is that Jason Trust does pretty much everything in this movie. He directs it, he wrote it, he edits it, he produces it, and it stars him. But also, his sister is the costume designer, and his father is the special effects supervisor. Here's the thing. The sister was like, yeah, I'll work on this movie with you, like, brother. I don't know if she's younger or older or whatever. And then she starts planning costumes, and then she goes, oh, I got picked to be on Project Runway Season 8. I need to now finish all of these costumes in less than two weeks. So that's why the costumes barely look like real costumes. (laughs) I think that all the effort went into the Uncle Sam-looking dude, Manpower, and then the rest was just like, yeah, let's take some, like, I don't know, yoga pants and rip them and stick them over somebody's head. Uh, we have, like, oh, piece of leather. Let's just cut two eyes ho- eye holes in it, put it over the dude's face, and that's the superhero of the wall. But so, so that's why the costumes aren't that great. But here's the here, – I had to look into this. Uh, so Sarah Trost, she goes on to be a contestant on Project Runway Season 8. Out of 17 people, she came in 14th. So she was off the show in, like, two or three episodes. <laughs> and I was like, damn, I would have liked a comeback story where she goes on to, like, win or come in, like, the top three or something. But but no. So that, that was the first thing. The second thing was that this they only had 15 days to film. And I think that was because of where they were. So they basically had this weird little shanty town that they were able to get, like, four or five buildings of in some outskirts. And they were like, we have this for 15 days. And the limited budget that they have, the stories that I read is that the Jason Trost and all the other creators, producers, whatever, they'd be on set and they would just be ripping pages out of the script because they were like, we don't have enough money for that. We don't have time for that. We don't have money for that. So, Ben, when you said they cut out 45 minutes of character development, they actually did. The stuff they cut out of the movie was supposed to be more flashbacks about the superheroes. That makes sense. I just love, I've heard that that saying before where people are ripping pages out of the script on set, and I love just Jason Trost being like, I just want to make my own goddamn little independent movie, and no <laughs> one wants to give me fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the most famous person in the movie is James Remar, so he's the villain, he plays Rickshaw, which we will have to get to. He's probably the best part about the movie, because he's just so over the top. They did his whole part and one day, five hours. <laughs> so everything got like one take. Everything was just set there. This movie was so cheap. It was so rushed. And I love it for that reason. I love looking at it for that reason. We mentioned before the limited budget. One of the fight scenes between Charge and I don't remember his name. Not Manpower, the other one. Oh, uh, Saul something? Saul? Sh- Sliver? Something like that? Yeah. <laughs> It's the battle arena is literally a backyard trampoline with just segments of chain link fence around it. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's so it's so cute. It's so cheap. It's so cute. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So I I had to get that out of the way because that is something that I think that is going to come up as we discuss a lot of this film, the the budget and the restrictions. And I think I want to start by asking you something. Sledge saw. Sledge. So you think that's a sledgehammer with, like, a handsaw at the top of it? <laughs> you know, to be, to be honest, I, I was thinking, like, a circular saw blade just on a giant stick. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a pinwheel, but a saw blade? <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, but it's not spinning. It's, it's oh, just welded. Okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe even maybe even in like the opposite direction, like it's orthogonal to the stick. Ooh. And then, and then you just have like it's it's you know like a bat, but it, but it has a, a, a saw blade. I could get behind that. I'd get behind that. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, for the cinema audience, that was the name that we couldn't think of. Sledge saw. Sledge saw. Yes. Yeah. I... Which is why we couldn't think of it because it's not a fucking word. Yes. <laughs> yes. The other one actually is clever because his name is Manpower and he's dressed up as Uncle Sam and he gives the finger and goes, I want you. And it's like, oh, that's, yeah, that's what the army is. It's Manpower. And I'm like, that's a little clever at least. Oh, man, I loved, I loved when, like, what, what the, the bad game, Rick Shaw, he's like, you have to fight Manpower. And the wall's like, what's a Manpower? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I guess, I guess before we dive into any of the, the further details of the movie or behind the scenes. I think this is an incredibly simple movie to give a uh, plot synopsis of. I think the easiest way to put it is think saw, but with superheroes and instead of hurting themselves, they have to protect civilians. So four superheroes, which are called the four, apparently, I don't know if that's mentioned in this one. It's mentioned in the sequel a lot. Um, Because I I should say, like, this and the sequel are very much connected. They definitely take place in the same universe. And the sequel references this movie. But so these four superheroes wake up, and they all realize that they have something implanted in their wrists which has taken their powers away. Oh, and they all fucking realize it. Yes. As soon as they wake up, (laughs) the first thing they do, every single one of them, is look at their wrists. Okay, this was was the first thing where I was like, okay – I know this – this was before I did a lot of my research, but I was like, I know this movie has a limited budget. It clearly has a limited budget from everything we're seeing. Why would they do all four insert shots of the different characters' wrists with the little special effect? Why wouldn't they just have Charge realize it first, and when they all meet up at the grocery store, the hardware store, they go, oh, yeah, I had that too. All our powers are gone. Like, he wastes time and money doing four shots that could have been done in one scene. And Well, he probably did them first and then didn't realize how expensive it was. <laughs> that, that could be. That, that could be. This is going to be the big, like, mystery and thesis of this episode. Does Jason Truss know what he's doing as a filmmaker? Because <laughs> I think, I think there, there's some balance in each. But So they all lose their powers. There's this, like, uh, little short uh, CRT monitors in all these places that they wake up, and this villain, Rickshaw, is basically like, do you want to play a game? And he tells them all to meet up at the hardware store, where he explains to them that there's going to be a series of rounds. We don't know this yet, but there's round one, then there's the bonus round, and then there's round three. (laughs) Yes. And where they have to split up into teams and they have to fight, you know, I guess Rickshaw's goons or his lackeys to save the, I think he says like oh, there's a hundred civilians in the town or something like that. That's what he says. Yeah. yeah. hundred civilians. And so that becomes the point of the movie is that, you know, they have to go and try and save these civilians when they don't have their powers. And it kind of devolves into there's a little like romance, like a maybe like a, a love triangle going on. Uh, Charge has some reveals at the end, but it's all really, you know, they have to kind of stop the bad guy who's captured them in this weird game, this weird town. Anything you wanted to add to that, Ben? The set reminds me of a high school run haunted house. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot. Like, there were so many times I just got the vibe. I was like, they are just in a haunted house. Like, that's (laughs) they just rented out a haunted house to film this in. Everything is incredibly close together. 
multiple times they have five minutes to run to buildings where they don't even know where it is. Yes. And and they and they find it no problem. They're never even close to being late. Yeah, they. Uh, I remember seeing the shots of the map because Charge had like takes the map from where he wakes up, and the map makes this place look way more detailed than it actually is. Where it's like it's probably yeah. just what there's six locations because he draws the X's where all the TVs are, and then where they all all yeah. the lines meet. That's the seventh location where he is. No, it just happens to be in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have I have problems with that also, but oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, so I think with that with that being said, um, we I think the the thing that needs to be set up for where I want to go next is that we have our characters. They're they're separate. We don't get a lot of dialogue from them. We just get them kind of waking up and realizing what's going on. They come together at the hardware store to learn what their their mission is technically. That scene is where I'm like, oh, no, like, oh, these people can't act at all, especially the girl who's Shadow. Like, she is so, so rough to watch. I'm just like, I'm like, oh, geez, I'm like, is this going to be the rest of the movie? Thankfully, it's not. It's not a lot of them just all talking together, which I really, really approve of. So when they split up into teams, this is where I started to really get this notice of why is the camera so shaky? Like, it'll be the shot of, like, Shadow in the Wall walking down a street to get somewhere, and the camera will just be, like, I'm assuming it's Jason Troster, like, the second unit director, just walking backwards and filming them. And I'm like, at least they could have done something, like, even if you don't have, like, a steady cam or a big rig, you can at least figure out some way to, like, hook it on your shoulder and make it steady. So this is my question, Ben. I started to get the thought that the shaky cam was being used intentionally to cover up ADR and looping. And so uh, most movies, this, but this is, this is where it's going to be the, the, the debate and the idea of this. Most movies, if not, you know, all of the, the actual, you know, studio movies, they get filmed. Dialogue and stuff is said on set, but it's usually not, you know, everybody's not mic'd up so they don't get crisp, clear audio. So they have the actors go back in and record their lines, and then the studio and the creators put them over the scenes in the movie. That's what lets them do the audio mixing, make everything sound crisp, clear, all that stuff. I was like, was something going so wrong on set and they didn't have, like, a boom mic or they only had one mic that was built into the camera that they purposely made it shaky so you can't make out their lips so that when they ADR'd it, you wouldn't be able to notice that it was ADR. The reason I started to think this is because there's a few close-ups of Shadow where you hear her say something, and I don't think her lips move. Did you pick up on any of that, or what are your thoughts on that, Ben? Uh, I didn't didn't pick up on the lip-syncing trouble, which is kind of strange. I normally do. uh, If lips are off at all, I normally do. um, Like, it bothers me a lot. So I I, I guess there's a chance I wasn't watching it close enough. (laughs) You were too busy looking at the trampoline. (laughs) I I was too busy... Staring at my phone. No, um, I. But you know, I find it, I think that's an interesting idea, and that would be a smart play, I guess, if you don't have the budget to do ADR correctly. Yeah, yeah. But then here, here's here's the other thing I started to think, which is kind of the you know the opposite of this scenario. What if it, they didn't have the budget to do ADR at all? Then it becomes kind of like, then it's just the cameraman's, you know, messed up and can't, you know, they they didn't want to find a way to hold it down, maybe time restrictions or no one thought to do it, whatever. I don't know, maybe Jason Tross thinks shaky cam, you know, gives this a good feeling because there was some shaky cam in some of those saw tense moments. Who knows? 
But a lot of this movie, when our characters are talking, it is extreme close-ups of their face. I have multiple notes that just say, back the fucking camera up. Like, move it away. I don't just want to see, you know, like, neck and head of our superheroes. And so this led me to the next thought. Are they taking incredibly close-up shots during the dialogue scenes so that the camera could actually pick up their dialogue well because they couldn't do ADR? I think these are two very valid theories. I have no idea which one's the case, though. <laughs> I kind of assumed that they had the camera so close because their lighting was shit. Oh, and okay. And so, like, they couldn't... I mean, throughout the whole movie, it's like it's happening at night in like this kind of ghost town type thing. And the lighting is just it's it's bad the whole time. Definitely. So I I kind of assumed that the camera close ups were just because any further away and you wouldn't be able to see anything. (laughs) Oh, okay, that that's a that's a good point for sure. Yeah. And it's not like they they weren't using. Thankfully, they weren't using like a spotlight from the camera. So it just didn't look like the face was illuminated (laughs) like that Blair Witch stuff. (laughs) That would have been great, actually. That that might have made this movie even better. We could have theorized, like, is this just friends making a movie and people accidentally die? Like, yeah, sure. you, you know? Like, would have had it all added a whole new level. Oh, absolutely. So the other thing I thought about the close-up in the camera shots was that, okay, as we mentioned before, which I, I guess we should say now, Jason Trust is legitimately blind in his right eye. So pretty much every time he makes an appearance... Um, I think every time I couldn't, I didn't find any pictures of him without something covering it, whether it be an eye patch or part of his costume and whenever he does acting performances, um, he is legitimately blind in his right eye. And of course that has to have some impact on an individual depth perception. Was the camera so close to the face? Because, you know, even in the scenes when he's acting, if he's, you know, if he was as hands on a director as, as what I read says he was, then what happens is whoever his second unit director is, whoever he has the camera operator being, is he will, you know, set up the shot, he'll show the person what they want, and then that person will do it. And then I'm kind of I, thinking... You don't think that he also blinded the second person's right eye so that they would <laughs> be seeing it the same way he saw it? Now that... That would be dedication to a film. <laughs> I mean, that's like, it's it's like method, but for filming. De- oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, so I, uh, that, I don't think that's incredibly likely, but it is possible. I don't know who the, the camera operators were, but the cinematographer, so I guess this goes back to the lighting as well. The, the director of photography, cinematographer, was someone named Amanda Trays. She has been the director of photography on nothing else I've ever heard of, but she was a camera operator on Breaking Bad. So she's worked with good people before, like people that know how to set stuff up. But with I think with how involved Jason Trost was in this movie, with the direction, the writing, the editing, the producing, the starring, I don't blame her for any of this stuff. I really think that he was the one who's like, I, I can do all this, I can figure this all out. And maybe he should have had someone say, like, no, maybe we can back the camera up a little bit. Maybe we can, you know, put... Maybe it's okay if something in the background isn't exactly in focus instead of not showing anything in the background. I I just couldn't... I don't like a lot of movies where cameras are really close to people's faces. And this, I was just so on, like, oh, my God. I'm like, this is this is making me crazy. <laughs> so I, I don't... I didn't have any qualms with the uh, close-up camera shots for dialogue i i did find it a little jarring how little camera changes there are like there's there's not a lot of like back and forths and stuff like that it's it's yep. 
it's like you know he they, it's like they had one camera i think the most we get a like shot and reverse shot is in the flashback scenes when they're setting some stuff up but that might have been stuff they did earlier and there's like oh shit that's where most of our budget went <laughs> uh but i mean i don't know i think this is the big bane of, of me researching and, and then discussing this movie is i feel like there's so many explanations for these choices and it's like we're never going to know unless we get like an interview with Jason Trost. And then it's going to be like how do we how do we have an interview where it's like okay Jason, Mr. Trost, whatever you want to be called, charge. <laughs> this movie was an atrocity. <laughs> we really want to understand why it was an atrocity. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that interview's going to go well. No. That being said, I think is this a formal invitation? Definitely. I think because hey, I think formally that invite. I don't know. It's usually Zach is the one he whenever we discuss something, he'll like dig in and see like what other, you know, podcasts or retrospectives are on this movie. I can't imagine there's a whole lot of discussion about this movie. Definitely not from like big podcasts. So we might get out there if anybody searches all superheroes must die into like iTunes or something <laughs> or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that that would be pretty cool. Yes. I, I mean, I would love to talk to him. I mean, he might want to spend time talking about his other movies, uh, which his first one, the one before this, was apparently very well-received. Well, I guess we should say this movie was not well-received at all by anybody, I think. The f- movie he did before this is called The FP, which is about uh, gangs of people who settle their disputes by playing basically Dance Dance Revolution. So they, like, don't fight each other. They they dance, dance, revolution each other. Seriously. <laughs> okay. Sounds like uh, bring, like one of those breakdancing competition shows. Yes, yes. So that You, movie, you got served. Th- what comes oh, that's a good one. That's a good... I was trying to think of it when I was looking into this. Yeah, you got served, definitely. This movie, the FP, did fairly well, apparently. I got positive reviews. He made a sequel called FP2. In 2018, FP3 is in post-production, and FP4 is in pre-production right now. Oh, God. So he's making a shitload of these movies. Um, I don't know. I, I need time. How was FP2 received? I think okay-ish. Uh, I didn't find as much out about that one. FP was the one that has like a lot of his like bio refers or references that one because that was like his breakout hit. Um, but I think that... We are definitely getting the sense that if Jason Tross can find money somewhere, he's going to use it to make another movie. Just because it seems like this is what he wants to do. <laughs> and good for him, you know, but... <laughs> he's made a lot of movies. We, he's made and been involved in a lot of movies. Yes. Uh, the one you mentioned before we started recording was, what, Wet and Reckless, um, which I don't know anything about. Oh, and Hatchet about. 3. Yep, Hatchet. Um, he, he's done this, like, YouTube series called Corona House in, like, the last year. So I don't know anything about that either. I, I couldn't do a deep dive into Jason Trost and watching his stuff because I was like, I will lose my mind. I will have way too much to talk about. <laughs> I mean, it seems like there's a lot to say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Barry only requested all superheroes must die. So we have to we have to stick with that. <laughs> so you, you in your plot breakdown, you got to the point they meet they meet up at the hardware store. Yep. They are told to pick their weapons. Yes. Which their weapons are like, one of them gets a chain. I think one of them gets a stick. Yeah. Like a like a dowel rod, like a thick dowel rod. Yep. One of them gets a sledgehammer. Yep. Not the person who fights sledge saw, which is unfortunate. <laughs> um, and I don't I don't remember what Jill gets. Is the last one an axe? 
Maybe. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't or remember. Like garden shears or something. So, yeah, I was <laughs> really blown away about. by the fact that you know they're in this whole hardware store. We're seeing the set dressing of a hardware store. There's like shit everywhere, yes. and then Rickshaw's like, "Choose your weapon." And they're like, well, the four things right in front of us are our only choices. <laughs> like, I'd, go, I'd be like, let me go a little deeper into the hardware store and see what the fuck I can find. <laughs> to, to be fair, Charge did. He, he got a backpack. I don't think we know why. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I think I, when I was watching it, I was like, when did he get a backpack? <laughs> he, like, he got a backpack. He got some, like, really old walkie-talkies. Mm-hmm. He saw some people wired up to explosives. Him and Jill have a moment where they have they I think that triggers a flashback where we find out that they were kissing one time and then he was like, Oh, I gotta go save people and she got kind of upset about that. Yeah, his like superhero watch goes off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh it's like their version of pagers, I guess. Yep. We we should also mention that in that scene when they meet up at the uh hardware store, they're all like this took away our powers except for charge. They still say that charge yes. is strong. Yes, and that's so that's going to come back later. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we find out when cutthroat who is played by Lucas Till, who I just learned is actually in the X-Men uh, days of future past first class in apocalypse. Yeah. He's uh, he's havoc. I think. Yes. Yeah. He, he actually went on after this to do something that got, some amount of notoriety. He's also um, MacGyver in the 2016 MacGyver reboot, which I think lasted for like four That's seasons. Right. So, so yeah, uh, yeah J- so he, Jason he, Trust yeah. knows people. Like he got Lucas Till, and he gets James Remar. Like James Remar's been around since the right. 70s and 80s, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so they shake hands, and uh, Lucas Till's playing Cutthroat, and Cutthroat's like, "Oh, you still have powers," and we find out, I. Like, something I noticed about this film is, like, when we find out what their powers are, we find them all out at once. Like, we don't – there's no, like, different plot points where they come up. It's just, like, in the first challenge, yes. we we hear each of their powers described. Like, we learn that the wall used to be impenetrable and never be able to feel pain. Uh, <laughs> Shadow, Jill, the, the girl, apparently could go invisible or yep. something of that nature. Cutthroat had, was fast. Yep. Is what we learn that he had super speed. Uh, I do have a problem with this because he wears a cape, and I think that if you are fast, wearing a cape is just a hindrance. Sure, sure, I, I would imagine so. <laughs> like, like you're just you're just asking, like you're just giving people way more room to try to grab onto you. You know, like how fast are you? Yeah, I I did like the the way that you, you're absolutely right that the way that those get those powers get revealed are all in like that. They're like, this is, okay, we're at this page of the script, whatever we got left, we have to get it all done here because this is the big encounter we're keeping. I thought it was a pretty interesting, like, writing device where, you know, I think it's something like uh, Shadow runs at Manpower and Manpower, like, knocks her out of the way. And then when the fight's over, she says something, or during the fight, when they, like, regroup, she says something like, I I forgot that he couldn't see me or something like that. I, yeah, I, I really like that as a writing device to tell us that she had invisibility powers because it could have been much stupider. And when they first met up at the hardware store, it would have been like, Charge, you're still strong. And then Jill goes, oh, I can't turn invisible. And he like, I can't run fast, you know. I like that it was actually yeah, sprinkled yeah, into cool. a scene rather than just, you know, here you go. Here's what you need. I, I agree that it was better than, like, a reveal right up front. Yeah. But when when he revealed the first one, I was like, oh, he's going to, like, trickle him in. 
And then the next two happened so fast. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I was like, oh, okay. He's he's. Uh, it's not trickling so much as he's just like injecting them right here. Yes, absolutely. But absolutely. Uh, I I I did like that the way we find out find out about Wall's lack of power is that he gets stabbed, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh my god, is this what pain is? That was pretty interesting. That was like the one thing where I was like that is a neat idea, but the movie does not play it as effectively as it could be done because we get the quote that I said at the beginning where what Jill is something like, can't you help him? Like, can't you get him, you know, like pills or whatever? And he's like, vitamin C isn't going to remove a 12-inch stab wound from lower intestines. There's nothing we can do. What about the garage? I mean, isn't there something inside their medicine or something? Vitamin C isn't going to remove a 12-inch stab wound from his lower intestines, Jill. Sorry. And I'm like, I guess that's supposed to be like a funny moment. I would have liked it better if they spent more time on that. But I think the whole movie is they didn't have time for anything. <laughs> I kind of liked it the way it was. I liked, um, you know, Char- Charge is like, oh, you're going to be fine. Like, it, it's, you know, it's going to be okay. And then they walk like five feet away from him. And Jill's like, <laughs> you know, how bad is it? And he's like, oh, he's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> he's done. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty great. Um, especially, you know, like he, he was like right there. <laughs> he definitely oh, absolutely. could hear them yeah. if he was trying to. I ha- we have to say that he gets killed by Manpower, who we mentioned is dressed as Uncle Sam using a yes. flamethrower. But nice. there is... And a knife. And the knife, yes. We get the great kind of like villain monologue of Manpower. He's an absolute lunatic and he's talking about cannibalism. And I'll have to put the clip in because I didn't write his whole thing down, but I'm like, this is insane. (laughs) Dinner time. I don't want to cook your head, old boy. I'm going to want to eat it. I want to get big and strong again. <laughs> Two for the price of one. You both look so tasty. You first. Barley! Yummy! 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 Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I like processed what he said very well, but uh, I remember it being pretty crazy. He did say, "Uncle Sam wants you," or "I want you," or whatever. Yep, and, and flip him off though, so yes. that was pretty good. Yes, yeah. So the guy who plays Manpower is Sean Whalen. I he hasn't been in a whole lot of stuff. He he is. I think Ben, you'll appreciate this once now that you've seen him, and like he he they don't really do anything to his face except put like the Uncle Sam hair on him. Um, but he's still just, you know, it still looks like Sean Whalen, who's a pretty interesting-looking dude. Um, he is one of yes. the extended McPoyle family in uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is perfect. Uh, no, so, that totally makes sense. Yeah, he, yeah, so he's Lion McPoyle in the trial episode. Um, okay. the, like the McPoyle trial of the century or whatever it's called. But I know him best as a very minor character in four episodes of Lost, whose name is Neil. 
but he people call him Frogurt because his job before they crashed on the island was selling frozen yogurt. So that's that's where I knew this dude from. <laughs> I I think he was also in the Twister movies. Oh, okay. I haven't seen those in forever. But he's one of those like really minor character actors that when you see him and once you know him from somewhere and you see him again, you're like, "Oh, that guy." <laughs> that yes, face at least. Definitely. Yeah, he he was in Twister. He wore a hat backwards. Oh. On his neck. He wears so. a hat backwards in the sequel. He's not manpower in the sequel, though, which I'm, I was very upset about. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think manpower's dead. Yes, it? yeah, yeah. They take out all the all the goons. So I, I get we kind of skipped a, a bit um, before they fight manpower. So the first challenge is that they're they're separated into two teams. Uh, Jill and or so Shadow and the Wall go mm-hmm. off to the junkyard. And uh, and charge and cutthroat go off to some place where there's a trampoline surrounded by a fence. Yes, and and they encounter five people that are rigged up to explosives. And and Rickshaw tells them, uh, "This is really simple because I like simple things because <laughs> I'm simple. You have to fight Sledge Saw and you have to beat him. And if you beat him in like 90 seconds, then these people don't die." some shit like that yeah yeah they get even some time yeah it is a pretty small time limit 90 seconds sounds right yeah i think i think it's 90 seconds and in this like so the reason i wanted to get back to this is because you you mentioned it's a trampoline it's got a fence around it <laughs> uh this reminded me of something that that happened in the, in the town i grew up in the town i grew up in is carlsbad new mexico uh there was a group of people who put together a a show or I guess a show is a, is the appropriate term for it. It happened kind of regularly called Carlsbad Backyard Wrestling, um, <laughs> also known as CBW. I figured this was you were going somewhere like this. <laughs> so there there was there were you know it was it was kind of the uh, I I don't like they weren't they weren't dumb they were like reckless like risk oh. risk takers the risk taking people so it was like they had they had names like one of them was like the trash man sure and and uh, i think one of them was just like the hawk or or whatever and, and okay. so they they would um they would put on these on these shows where they it started off they would wrestle on a trampoline and they would like jump onto tables and shit like you know throw each other onto tables and and uh, and break tables and things like that mm-hmm. and then later it turned into they they found a house that had this pit dug out in front of it where they the the owners of the house were originally going to put a swimming pool and then i guess the cell of the house fell through or something and so construction on that stopped and so there was this house with this empty water uh, i'm sorry a uh, swimming pool sized pit in front of it and they started doing cbw inside of this pit okay and so they had i think they still had a trampoline uh but they had you know people running and jumping off the sides of the pit with um with like long like 10 foot neon uh light bulbs like those ceiling light bulbs that you um oh, like breaking them sure. over each other and and so anyway i guess the reason i wanted to bring this up is because they had a better set than this movie did <laughs> nice and and these these were kids in high school like this scene is literally a trampoline completely encompassed by like chain link fence it's oh, like yes. a safety gate that you would put on a trampoline to keep your toddlers from falling off of it and that's where this fight has to happen. They I couldn't even it. get a dugout swimming pool <laughs> um, and, and put a trampoline in it. They had, they just yep. had a gate around around a trampoline. 
<laughs> That's great. And so Charge gets in there and he's he's fighting this guy. Uh, he's getting his he's getting his ass whooped. Uh, I think maybe to give the impression that he doesn't have his powers, even though at this point we know he does. Mm-hmm. And Cutthroat is hitting a fuse with a chain. I'm so glad to get you bring it to this go up, out. Man. This might be the funniest shot in cinematic history. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's repeatedly hitting the ground with the chain, just <laughs> trying to get this fuse to go out. I was dying during that scene. I'm pretty sure in one of the bits where you see him, like, whipping the chain at the ground at the fuse, you can see his foot in frame, and I'm like, I'm like, don't use the foot, use the chain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't just stamp out the fuse. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, don't try Don't try to find any other uh, tool. Don't pick up the fuse and try to rip it. Like, just continue to hit it with your chain. <laughs> and so he indicates to charge... Like, hey, we're running out of time. I need some help down here. Charge is like, oh, now I'm going to reveal that I'm still strong. And he, <laughs> and he like, punches Sledge Saul and, like, knocks him out real fast. I want Cutthroat to be like, Charge, I need you. Bring enough, Bring a second chain. <laughs> we need more I don't have chains. chains. <laughs> I, that guy's called two chains for a reason. <laughs> um, so... So Charge runs down there. He finds an axe. He cuts the fuse. The fuse relights, and the people explode in (laughs) you. Yeah, screw those people. I I don't know if we mentioned it, but the people all have bags over their heads, and they're just, like, grunting and and writhing around, yeah. I did did notice that. Like, almost every single, like, pedestrian, except the guy at the beginning and the two at the very end, have bags over their heads. And I think that was probably because they couldn't get the rights to use their real names <laughs> or, or like or they or they were like underage and they they just couldn't, oh, they couldn't okay. put them in the movie without their parents approval or something. I'm not was, really sure what it was. I was definitely thinking that it's like because one encounter has like these five civilians. Another encounter has these five civilians round. Oh, it's the same civilians. Yeah, I was thinking course. it's just they only had like, you know, five actors and they were just like, fuck it. You know, probably two of them were. um like, in the scene with Charge and Cutthroat, like, they didn't have enough extras, so they're just like, okay, while we're not filming The Wall and Jill, you be civilians under these bags, you know? Oh, oh my god, I bet they did. I bet that's exactly what happened, it's why they were under bags. And they couldn't just put... They gotta save money, yeah. They couldn't just put two of them under bags and have the rest not have bags, so they had to put all of them under bags to conceal that fact. I'm sure that's what it was. <laughs> So, yeah, we, we see these civilians who all have bags over their head, uh, with the exception of the one that we see at the beginning yep. who dies to prove that it's legit, and he is credited as man in in the credits. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty good. Uh, Brian something. We did uh, skip over it, but I, I like that setup. You, said, you just said it perfectly, that we got the dude at the beginning who's hooked up to explode. And he's tied to like a heart monitor and propane canisters, like you said in the in the point of the movie, to show that it's real. And I love that the dude's like, "Help me, help me!" And Cutthroat's like, "What the hell is going on here?" Like he's angry at the dude for some reason. Black, untie me! Get out here, untie me! What the hell's going on here? Fuck you, I am. You, you people did that. This is all happening because of you. What? He's gonna kill us. He 
He's gonna kill us because, because of you. Who, who's he? Hey, where you going? Where you going? Come back! Just hold the fuck on, okay? Get out of here! I'm tired! <laughs> Well, so I, I also want to point out that this guy had like a string tied around his face, like it wasn't a rope; it was like a clothesline. Yes, yes. and it like went over one of his eyes, and yeah. it just looked so awkward. <laughs> I mean, I was like, "Fuck it, whatever." Like, we're getting into this movie. This is the way things are. Yep. But, but yeah, so that was really strange. And then the rest of like, I expected to see more of that, but then we just saw bags. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Which I think is the better choice. I mean, I would not, oh, as yeah. an actor, want for especially for a movie like this where I can't be getting paid that much for like that's yeah. probably uncomfortable. String wrapped over my mouth and eye. Definitely. And then, of course, when they explode, probably due to not having money for special effects, all we see is like dirt and rocks flying. Yes. And we never see the actual ex- explosion or any blood or guts or anything like that. It's just like dirt and rocks um, to indicate that an explosion happened. And so this, the civilians die at both encounters, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The civilians die at every encounter. Yep. Except the last one. Yeah. Because in the first one, what Rickshaw is like, um, he's like, I I told you I'd keep it simple. Like, you know, you can't win. Like, I'm here to torture you type of thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we did, we kind of glossed over that. So the whole reason Rickshaw's doing this is because he he is tired of losing. And so he (laughs) wants them to know what it's like to lose. Yes. But there is some – there is a whole bunch of shit that doesn't make sense around this because at some point they're like, oh, I thought Rickshaw was dead. And then somebody else is like, yeah, we were just kids back then. But then it becomes clear later that they got their powers at their current age and they're not aging. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I don't know what the fuck they mean when they say we were just kids back then. Like maybe there were other superheroes before them and they killed Rickshaw. Like I really don't know. I think uh, that when, you know, the um, uh, the script supervisor, probably Jason Trost, he told someone to take out page, like, 15 of the script. He actually took out, like, page 50, and it screwed everything up. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. Could be. Um, but, yeah, so he, his goal is, like, you're going to know what it's like to f- to think you're going to win and then lose repeatedly. Yes. So that's, that's the whole setup here. And so charge kind of catches on it doesn't matter what we do the civilians are going to die anyway mm-hmm. uh, which leads us into well i guess it leads us into the second part of the first challenge which is when the wall and shadow fight manpower and the wall dies yep yep and then we get to the bonus round <laughs> I, my note is literally just round two is the bonus round <laughs> so this this is something like they walk in and uh, and they see three coffins labeled with their names. And, of course, the wall's coffin is not there. Yep. And I was like, oh, this is a stupid fucking oversight. And then Shadow mentions it. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, maybe that was intentional. And I got intrigued. And that, that intrigue was definitely led to a letdown uh, because – they never explain. Yeah, I think there's just one offhanded line where it's like, he was always meant to die in the first round. And it's like, I mean, that makes sense in hindsight, but I don't know if they could have planned that. Right, yeah. How did they plan? Sh- how? Why wouldn't Shadow have died? Because Exactly. Uh, I mean, I guess you could say, like, he knows the wall is dumb and he's going to just run in there regardless of not having his powers. And he's going to mm. feel pain for the first time and then die. 
But it, it can't be for the first time because he got his powers at some point because yes. something fell from the sky and gave them powers. Yes, absolutely. So he definitely he either had parents that sheltered him and he never experienced pain before. <laughs> or he was born with superpowers. And no one else was. Or I don't know. Yeah, Maybe, I'm yeah. sure there's I'm sure there's other ways to fill this plot hole. You are exactly right. I, I had to ask in this scene when they get into uh, the room for the bonus round. Um, we get this head-on shot of, like, the three of them coming through the door. The door closes, and then it's, like, them, like, before the reveal. I think it's before the reveal. You first see it. You see it a few more times in the scene. Whenever the camera's just on the three of them, like, standing and looking at the rest of the room, there's a bunch of graffiti on the background wall. And, you yeah. know, I guess for, you know, set decoration, whatever, like, this weird town that they've been put in, you know, it's all, you know, crumbling, and, you know, it's all, like, plywood and stuff. But very clearly, on the back left of the wall... You can see spray painted. It's the biggest thing. You loose, like you know when people <laughs> spell lose with two O's. And I'm like, uh, I don't know if Rickshaw created all of this because I think Rickshaw's smarter than to spell that wrong, or maybe he got like oh, yeah. manpower to spell it, or this was just like kids graffiti. No, sludge saw. Uh, he got sludge saw to do it. <laughs> manpower is smarter than that too. But I saw that and I was like, I. Once again, I don't know if that's intentional or not. <laughs> I think I think I just thought of a good way to, to fill that plot hole, and it's it's going to be canon after I say it. Okay. So the wall, the the power he got was the impenetrability, mm-hmm. but he was born with that rare defect where people can't feel things, oh. and then Rickshaw cured it. Ooh, he took okay. away his power and cured the rare genetic defect. Okay, yeah, I think there's an episode of House where some girl has that she can't feel yeah. pain thing. Yep. But yeah, okay, okay, I, I like that because it's like, um, you know, Rickshaw, when he figured out, which is never explained, of course, how he figured out a way to take away these people's powers. No, they didn't have time to explain then, that. But he also has like, you know, groundbreaking medical technology. <laughs> yeah, well, which, he, I mean, he, he was somehow able to, to penetrate the impenetrable skin of the wall to inject something into him. Yep, like, yep. We don't. They don't even – so I, I do have to say I, I, I give him credit for not trying to explain it. Because any explanation would have fallen flat. Yeah. So yeah. it's probably better just to leave that up to, to mystery. So uh, in my notes, at least, I know we're we're trying our best with this 77-minute movie, everybody. <laughs> but I think we're doing a good job so far. But in my notes, right before the, um, the you loose thing I have, I do have a note about that first flashback where he gets the call on his watch. So okay, it, was, yeah. it was probably somewhere around here. But okay. I loved, I absolutely loved... That, you know, uh, Jill gets mad because Charge is like, I got to go save people. And he, like, you know, walks to the door. Jill's in the background. Charge turns around to say something where it's a shot of Charge turning around. It cuts back to an empty room. Cuts back to Charge. He leaves. Cuts back to Jill standing there. And I'm like, they don't have any money to do a vanishing special effect. So they just used edits to, to, to convey that she can disappear. And oh, I shit. was like, I, I was like, that is so quaint. Because <laughs> you imagine in like, let's say an X Men movie with Lucas Till connection, if you had a character that can go invisible, like as the guy it. leaving yeah. was turning around, you would see her turn invisible. This oh, yeah. movie was like, we have no money for that. We're just gonna cut to an edit of an empty room. <laughs> hey man, when you when you got problems, you use the tools you have. I know, this is, once again, I don't know if he's a good filmmaker or a bad filmmaker. Like, there's stuff I, in both categories. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he, he solved that problem, so I have to give him, I have to give him kudos on that. I'm, I'm big into solving problems. 
Yeah, you're you're right. That is that is when we get the uh, the weird watch call scene. The the first flashback I think is actually just just charge getting to the party. If I remember. Oh right. sure, yeah, yeah. And there's some like really heavy score. There's like a little guitar song playing that I felt I felt I thought was weird. <laughs> They kind of like put a lot of emphasis on this like hot blonde girl, mm-hmm. who we find out is Lucas's sister. Yes, but I think I I think I'm skipping a challenge because that's not yet. That's yeah. challenge three. Yeah, the 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 bonus round challenge is they have to each kill a civilian or kill themselves or something. No, like so so the, yeah. So the bonus round is for for each one of you mm-hmm. that gets in your coffin and shoots yourself. Uh, one of these civilians will be spared, and he, he tells them <clears throat> like what they are. He's like, this one of them's a soccer mom, and one yeah. of them like plays the violin or something. I don't remember what. <laughs> well, I don't remember what details he gives about them. This one has a bag over their head. This one has another bag over their head. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like trying to humanize them, and he's like, whatever you know, each each one of you that willfully commits suicide is going to save one of these civilians. Yeah, and so this I actually kind of liked. Uh, I don't like that he only gives them 90 seconds because, like, that's no time at all. Yeah. But uh, Charge, like, he gives them a gun that presumably has three bullets in it. Mm-hmm. And Charge grabs it and he gets in his coffin. He's got it pointing up at his chin. And they're like, oh, my God, Charge, you can't kill yourself. You can't kill yourself. And then Charge does the best thing that anybody in this movie has done to this point. <laughs> this was definitely where I was like, is this the turning point of the movie? <laughs> Charge headshots all three civilians. Yep. Yeah, he he turns and just bam, 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 fucking puts them down, and then he's like, "They were gonna die anyway." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, he, that that was a great line where he's just like so nonchalantly, he's just like, "Rickshaw was gonna kill him anyway, so I figured at least I'd save both of you." <laughs> right, <laughs> and I'm right. like, okay, you know, that there's actually something here. Yeah, well, I mean, clearly, Charge is like the brains of the outfit. So oh, yeah, yeah, he's the brains and the brawn. I don't think Jason Tross thought that through. <laughs> or maybe he did. Maybe that's another exactly. like Tross is fucking out there second level four dimensional chess or something. <laughs> you know, he's playing. He's no, I, I he's not playing four D chess. He's playing four D checkers. I don't know. He might be playing four D dance dance revolution from what we heard about him before. <laughs> I don't know what that really means, but it's a possibility. <laughs> well, for, I think what that means is that he can take off his pants over his head without moving them through his body. <laughs> I think that's what the 4D part. I would take is. that power. I want that to be my uh, superhero power. <laughs> <laughs> I enter the fourth dimension just to remove my clothes. 
<laughs> so so the bonus round is pretty quick. I, oh, yeah. Then, like, it's immediately, they have another five minutes to get to, what, the bar, I think he calls it? Yeah. And then Something. the and then I, I the third, I really liked, like we just talked about, I really liked that little twist in the bonus round. The third round, I think, start. this is where it fell flat for me again, because it's not a challenge for all of them. It's you just know, cutthroat, it's... kill charge, or kill everybody, and you'll save your kill, sister. Kill, kill one of them, yeah. and you'll save your sister. So the problem I had with this is, I mean... So the fact that it's just for cutthroat, like, I could overlook that. The problem I had with it is he gave him two guns. Yes. yes. He gave him a gun, like a handgun and a shotgun. And he was like, the guns are just suggesting, suggestions, but you can kill them however you want. Mm-hmm. And the reason I had a problem with this, and, and maybe again, maybe this is Rickshaw being a super genius. Like, he's setting him up for failure because if he grabs one of those guns, why wouldn't one of the other people grab the other gun? Yeah, yeah. That, I don't think that's what happens, though, for, for the cinema audience. I think I think Cutthroat picks up a gun, and he's pointing at a charge. He's like, I'm going to fucking shoot you because we've had this whole Batman-Robin thing going on for so long now. Mm-hmm. And and this, I I mean, he, he added a little tension. He added a little drama. Cutthroat is the Robin to, uh, to charge his Batman. And he, like, feels overshadowed, and he's like, you treated me like a sidekick, and you talked down to me, and we get this scene – which I think is immediately after the, the, the scene where he leaves Shadow, uh, where John leaves Shadow in the room and she does the disappearing act. Yep. And he's like, John's like, can't, do I say John? Charge? John? I think that it is. His, yeah, his, his human name is, or non superhero name is, is John. Human name. Yeah. Uh, so Charge is like, oh yeah, and, and for, for the cutthroat is Ben. Uh, he's like, Ben, like, what would have happened if I wasn't there to like bail you out tonight? Mm-hmm. And Ben's like, you never let me be a regular superhero. You're always just like being my big brother. And John's like, I am like your big brother. And he's like, but what if I don't want a big brother? <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> so, I mean, that that's like, they just fucking perfectly portrayed why Dick Grayson becomes Nightwing in one, in one scene in a car for under $20,000. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so they set up this tension earlier. So like cutthroat clearly, He's going to pick John to kill. I don't know if we're supposed to believe he has any particular feelings towards Shadow. I think the wall is the other one that had feelings towards Shadow. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. So I think he's just like, fuck it. Like, why not kill Charge? Yeah, yeah. Um, If I have to kill anybody to save my sister, why not kill Charge? And we find out that the hot blonde girl that I mentioned earlier is Cutthroat's sister. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the only reason the hot blonde girl was hanging out with them at all. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I don't remember maybe a lot of the minor details, but it does end up with, like, Charge and Cutthroat in a knife fight. Yes, yeah, they do. <laughs> I, this was very um, Diego from Umbrella Academy to me. Okay. They, they like, it doesn't matter who you are, the cool factor goes up, like, 5,000% when it's a knife fight. Instead of, like, sure, fight. sure. And, yeah, they do some choreography. I think the choreography's lost because the camera's so damn close to everything. Oh, yeah. But, Again, I think because of lighting. <laughs> yeah, that that as well, absolutely. And this, if anything, should be like the best lit thing because it's the bar, and you got like I think there's a light behind the sister or something. That's where all their lighting went to show that it was her. But so so yeah, charge of course ends up uh, stabbing Cutthroat through the chest, slashes him and stabs him through the chest. Yeah. After getting uh, a nice 
big cut across his abdomen. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or no, maybe just across his chest. Either way, he gets like he gets like a twelve inch slash across his body. Yes, yes, and vitamin C won't help it. <laughs> no, vitamin C we learned earlier in this movie because nobody knew that before <laughs> does not help knife wounds. And then so after that, like it's intense. Emily explodes. Yes, that's right. I was like, okay, good. <laughs> get it, get a, get these damn characters out of this movie. <laughs> but again, instead of blood or body parts, we get rocks. Yes. Oh God, it's wonderful <laughs> in the bar. And and then uh, they find a bottle of liquor, and they and then Shadow and uh, and uh, charge drink. Uh, we, we should mention at this point, Shadow is injured. Ben Cutthroat does throw a knife at her whenever yes. he. Like, at some point, he believes he won't be able to kill Charge, so he just, like, throws a knife at... Oh, no, she pulls a gun on him. She's like, yeah, stop it, and he throws a knife at her. It's pretty great, I guess. When they're drinking, this is where we were... This is where I think all that character development got cut out. They tried to jam it into it because Charge is like, I don't really have powers. That thing fell out of the sky, and you all got powers, but I didn't get powers. I've just been training, so it seems like I have powers, and I'm like... Okay, I guess. I'm like, I don't think I really care at this point. You're one of the only two protagonists alive. (laughs) So we're supposed to believe that this guy who looks pretty average in terms of build is strong enough for other people to believe that he is super strong. Oh, yeah. Wait till we get to the sequel. They explain that. (laughs) Oh, good. It is stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm reminded of One Punch Man. Yes. Who does not have superpowers, but eventually becomes unstoppable just from training like three days a week or something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. So, yeah, this is the whole like we're supposed to feel emotion with charge and and stuff. And and then really the whole point is just so that they can say um, I'm charge is like, I'm going to pretend that I'm dead. You go on to the final round. And while he's rickshaw is distracted with you, I'll go and like finally get rickshaw. Like that's their master plan at the end of the movie. Right. And of course, we have to talk about how does Charge find Rickshaw? (laughs) So the evidence that he's gathered is that there's some kind of giveaway in the in the television scenes that in the on the television screens that is a hardware flaw of a certain type of broadcaster, and he knows that. Yes, he's fully aware. Of that particular broadcasting technology's hardware flaw. Yeah, it has something to do with him seeing the cameras in wherever there's a TV. He sees the cameras so Rickshaw can see them, and then he's able to somehow like mentally figure out where it should be based on the lag between what they've done and when Rickshaw communicates with them. No, there's some kind of flicker on the screen. Yeah, I guess that's what I meant with lag, with the actual start of the broadcast. But yeah, same same idea. Yeah, I got the impression that he was talking about just like a. Just every once in a while, the, the screen flickers because the hardware was bad. I'm not really sure. I will put the clip in of this explanation. Everybody okay. who listens to this can will probably get 8,000 other interpretations because okay. there's Solid. no way this line actually makes sense in real life, right? I guess that's one thing everybody, if you haven't picked up on it, a lot of this movie makes no sense. Ben and I are trying to figure it out. <laughs> he can see us, but he can't hear us, which means he's probably just tapped into the town's security cameras or something. Your remote detonates the innocence, but the charges are tiny, they're almost invisible. Which suggests that he's probably not more than a couple miles out. Repeating static every 
four to five seconds on the TV is a quirk of a black market briefcase broadcast system. They're small, they're easy to set up, but short range. And all of his broadcasts are always clear and sharp, which means he's probably not more than half a mile out. I've been marking down on the map every time I've ever seen one of his TVs. If I get just one more of his broadcast locations, I can probably sit down and triangulate his position or something. But I don't know. So he, he decides Rickshaw can't be further than half a mile away from any of the TVs. Mm-hmm. And then he has like five TVs marked down and he draws lines between them. Yes. <laughs> and they all intersect at one central point. Which, and that has you, to be it. <laughs> which, as you can tell from Rob's laughter, is not how you would identify the area where he could be. They don't even, like, I get that it's, a, like, not even this movie is the only one guilty of it. Like, very, very, you know, popular movies. Like, my, my biggest one to make fun of was Avengers Endgame, where Tony Stark figures out time travel in an evening. Like, I get that the movie just needs to get through that, because the audience doesn't care. They just want the movie to happen. But at least, Jason Trust, you could have done something with, like, triangulation, like something that's an actual thing, not just drawing straight lines. <laughs> right, yeah. So so I, I did want to bring that up. Like, one one approach, the approach I would have used, because I don't know any better approach, would have been to, to try to plot out half-mile circles, mm-hmm. like half-mile radius circles around each point. And then I would have looked at the overlap. And I would have assumed that he was somewhere in that overlap. And then that, see, that would have made some sense because Charge would have went there. He would have saw the guards, which are people in animal suits show up in this movie for no reason. Yep. And then he would have been like, okay, this is the place. There's guards here. But instead he's just like, no, I have an exact point in space where I need to go. (laughs) He actually had the coordinates from this exercise. Um, God damn it. And so, you know, for the audience, like the, the, my complaint here is that it's likely that this intersection point would have fallen in the bubble just yeah. from from how small the environment was. It's likely that the way he drew these lines would have landed him in that bubble. But in general, that's not going to work. No. <laughs> and I mean, it's really easy if you think of, of three points that are collinear and the point that they're broadcasting from is just you know, in front of all of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, the, the line is just going to be a line between them, and you're never going to get anywhere near the uh, the point. So that was – and it would have been so easy to just mock out little circles. Yep, yep, absolutely. That would have added no cost, which I know is something they were really concerned about. What could they not afford? Like, what is that thing called? A compass where you, yep. like <laughs> – Oh god. Yeah, it was it was absolutely baffling. And I'm like I like that shot, the shot of the ch- of them hitting the fuse with the chain. Like I'm like this I'm like this is so so stupid and small. I I appreciate that. Like I haven't seen a movie like this in a while and it's so absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I I agree that it's ridiculous, but it doesn't quite reach that level of being so ridiculous it's enjoyable. Okay, okay. For me, I mean, I don't know, maybe it did for you, but for me, I was just like, well, okay, no, I I have to take that back a little bit. The fuse slapping the ground for the chain, like with the chain, that was pretty good. Yes, yeah. The trampoline, that was pretty good. (laughs) The the fact that Manpower had a flamethrower that he was like, oh, yeah, I got a flamethrower. We didn't even mention this. Manpower had a flamethrower, and he wastes all of the fuel before the fight even starts. (laughs) Oh, it's wonderful. (laughs) Those things I enjoyed. 
but the uh, the triangulation thing. Oh man, that okay. Me. Yeah, understandable, understandable. Yep, it's um, it's uh, I don't know. I think he was trying to. I think Jason Trust was trying to pull a Christopher Nolan, where he's just like, I can make this as simple as possible, and people will still like it because I made a Dance Dance Revolution movie. <laughs> In all fairness, Rickshaw was like, I like simple things, so he probably looked on a map and figured out that's a, the most obvious place to That's a hide. good point. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is the part of the movie where I'm, I think we have, like, what, maybe 15 minutes left or something. Hold on. Oh, I, yeah. I, I just thought of one other thing. Isn't it, like, the only other building in the town? <laughs> well, I mean, are, there, are there even other places he could have been? Uh, probably not. We probably used up all of our set pieces, so... <laughs> okay, so this was really, this was really Charge's shortcut way of verifying... That it's the, that building. <laughs> that it's the only building left. Do I, do I think he went back to the hardware store? <laughs> yeah, maybe he was in one of the buildings we were in. Yeah, yeah. So this, this is like the, the very end of the movie. The plan is in action. Uh, Charge is heading to, uh, get Rickshaw... What what is the last challenge for Shadow? She's like choosing whether or not to blow something up or something like that. I I don't I don't know that we that we know. I think we mostly see it through the cameras where okay. there's no sound. Uh, but she is confronted with two people who do not have bags on their heads. Yep, and who are apparently rigged to explode. And she is given some kind of time limit. Maybe she has to shoot one of them. I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I okay. I guess that's why I was confused because we really focus more on you know charge doing the final, giving the final charge than you know. Um, but there is something where at the end, after charge gets rickshaw, where he's like, you know, Jill, don't do it, and I'm like, I don't know what she's not doing right now. <laughs> so we kind of we did. I don't think we mentioned it earlier. Rickshaw mentions that the whole town is rigged to explode if they deviate. From the rules of the oh, game, he'll yeah. he'll blow up the whole town. Everybody was gonna die. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like the fail safe. So so what Charge is yelling there is he he sees that Jill has it in her mind that she's gonna come save him. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And he's like, no, don't come save me. Save yourself because there's no time. So but we can't get to that yet because I have a bunch of shit to say about that. Charge takes down some people. He takes down the guards that we mentioned. He yep. gets up there. He has a shotgun. Rickshaw's like, oh my god, it's you. I thought you were dead. And I only have one TV, so I can't look at multiple monitors. <laughs> the delivery of James Remar as Rickshaw when, when you know, Jason Tross charge first jumps in. James Remar gets up and he goes, you, it is the, it is so over the top delivery. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was pretty good. You. <sighs> me. Uh, and then charge. Shoots him with the shotgun. Doesn't he say me? He's like me. Or so he says he has like a, a reverse one liner that's just as bad because it's not a uh, one liner. <laughs> I thought he said something. I didn't write it down. I was so into the. You. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe he did say something like, yeah, it's me or something like that. So he shoots Rickshaw with the shotgun and Rickshaw is like unconscious on the ground. And I'm not sure how he signals to Jill to shadow that it's safe. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't know I don't know that he's no he, I don't think he's done that yet I, he's like he like flips around on the monitor just to find her or something I'm yes. not exactly sure. yeah yeah what, some amount of time passes and Rick Shaw wakes up and Rick Shaw is like ah oh, fuck but you're still gonna blow up yep and he's and he presses a button and it starts a timer and that timer's on a microwave <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 
And I have so many problems with this because almost every microwave that you'll see has an add 30 seconds button. And he doesn't even fucking look. He doesn't even try to extend the timer. He doesn't try to like press it a bunch of times and like it's like, oh fuck it, we got like three hours. That would have elevated this movie to like immaculate if he was just like like just pumping that plus thirty second button on the microwave. <laughs> like even the microwave in, in the Morton fucking teaching lounge <laughs> yeah, yep. had a plus thirty second button. Like this is not an uncommon feature on microwaves. <laughs> and and trust, charge, John doesn't even fucking look. Mm-hmm. And then somehow within six minutes, Shadow makes it back over over to him and they have like a minute and a half left and he's like, Oh, we're never gonna make it out of here and then the credits roll. But I do have to say, like, I would have accepted e- anything other than a microwave. <laughs> like they could have had an old timey alarm clock with little bells. Sure. They sure. could have had frown drawn paper that was being manually flipped by a rat in a wheel. Like they could have had a midget behind some bulletproof glass just like cranking a, a fucking old school clock. Like I don't care it could have been a grandfather clock. There could have there could have been small animals pulling on the, the time thing to make yep. it run. Like I don't care what it was. It should not have been a microwave. We get a microwave. That is that is where I think at near the end of this movie, with all how I th- I'm glad that we're both were very like confused about the timeline of it. This is where they had to been like so out of money that they oh, were yeah. just like, "What the hell do we have? A microwave that can count down? Perfect. We have to cut this shot that makes anything glue together or make sense. You know, we got our James Remar death scene, and that probably cost a good bit. You know, with him getting squibbed up for blood to shoot out and stuff like that. Right. But then it's just I can only imagine that they were like, "Oh my god, you know, this is this is it. This is basically the end of the movie. We just have to fucking get there." <laughs> I, I just I don't. I don't know how there's a sequel because they had less than a minute to get out of the explosion range. Yes. Which it clearly took them five minutes to get to every building. <laughs> so they needed to get – they needed five minutes to get to a building and then probably another two minutes to get outside of the range. They didn't have enough time. So I don't know how there's a sequel. Maybe you do and you'll inform me. Well, well, here, here's the other thing that blows me away is because did you see the post credit scene? No, I didn't. I didn't know there was one. So, so there is a post-credit scene, and it is it, it cuts back to the bar, and the bar is like you know there's some there's some like flames and stuff, or it looks destroyed. There's probably not flames because of the budget. Presumably, this is either after the place has exploded and it didn't explode that well, or this is during the final like front confrontation of the movie. The post-cut scene. Is it shows the bar, it pans down to cutthroat with the thing sticking out of his chest and his eyes open. <laughs> so three of them are apparently alive at the end of this movie. When the sequel starts, only Charge is alive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is that like a, are they setting it up for like a cutthroat, cutthroat's revenge sequel? That's what I thought the sequel was. And... That's what I thought the sequel was going to be. Was It was going to be like cutthroat, you know trying to get revenge, be like, you, you killed my sister, that type of thing. You know, the, oh, yeah. that common that story. That would make perfect sense. But no. So I think before we get to the sequel, um, I think we're in agreement ben, agreement, ben. All superheroes must die. 16 out of 10, American masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> Best movie ever. Yes or yes? Yes. 
best movie yes. ever or bestest movie ever? <laughs> or extra most bestest movie ever. <laughs> extra most bestest pepperoni movie ever. <laughs> That's a shout out to Little Caesars. They are our new sponsor. No, I'm just kidding. They're not. Don't sue us. <laughs> That being said, we probably should reach out to them and see if they'll advertise for us. You know, shoot us, shout us out on their page. <laughs> yes, yes. Little, Sweez- Little Caesars Extra Most Bestest Pizza, better than this movie. That's fair. I think I'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that was a wild ride. Uh, and when I say a wild ride, I mean kind of a boring ride. It was it was slow. The pacing was bit rough. The action was worse than high schoolers in a backyard. <laughs> At least... People blew up off camera and became rocks. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was Rickshaw's superpower. <laughs> he, okay, he turned people into turned rocks. people into rocks. He, yep. So so Rickshaw, I, I I do want to point out that there's a lot of elements just taken from other things for this movie. Oh, absolutely. Like charge charge and cutthroat. I already mentioned this. Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. Rickshaw is like a combination of the Riddler and Doofenshmirtz and the guy from Saw. Yep. And if yep. you don't know. Doofenshmirtz is from a cartoon called Phineas and Ferb. I think that was that was the part of Rickshaw I love the most. Like James Remar must have known that he was in this like terrible low budget movie, so he is just going all out hammy, like over the top. And I loved watching that because I was just like, he's just going hard. Like he's a good actor. Like I said, he's been around forever, and he's just owning this shit of like he's doing the the maniacal laugh he keeps saying like oh oh, no i'm gonna kill the civilians like you're right the riddler aspect too and oh i loved watching it but it's not just like it's not just his acting like he acted it well Mm -hmm. but the writing even he's like i've been a loser my whole life like that's doofenshmirtz's whole fucking backstory he's a loser yeah isn't the isn't the doofenshmirtz joke is that uh it all started when his parents didn't show up to his birth and it cuts to like just the doctor (laughs) with the baby and nobody in the bed (laughs) I don't know, but if like that sounds great. That's a good joke. <laughs> oh that's, yeah, definitely. Vinny's <laughs> and Verve had some good shit in it. There's those aspects. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they stole Sledge Saw straight out of CrossFit Backyard Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That name, even that's like what a middle schooler, or high schooler, like living up to looking up to professional wrestling would think of. <laughs> oh yeah, um, I, they they're just uh, Jason Trost was inspired by pre-existing superhero material is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely, absolutely. And it is, I guess, you know, like we mentioned, another thing with the low budget, it is pretty interesting that, you know, it technically is a superhero film in the superhero genre, but we never see anyone use a single power. That's That's because they don't have the money to do anything. Like, they can't make, you know, they have to use the editing, like we said earlier. But it's it's a weird thing is that I was watching it and after finishing and thinking about it, I'm like, it technically, I guess, is a superhero movie, but there are no superheroes in it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they all have <laughs> they've all had their superpowers neutralized by Doofenshmirtz. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely insane. <laughs> except except Charge, who is actually just strong. Yes. And so I guess that's a good segue into the uh the sequel to this movie that came out five years later in twenty sixteen. It's called All Superheroes Must Die 2, The Last Superhero. You can find it on YouTube. Um, I know All Superheroes Must Die is on a few different places for free, like uh, Amazon Prime. I think it's on YouTube as well. I watched All Superheroes Must Die 2 on YouTube. It's on Jason Trost's YouTube channel. Um, He does everything that he did in the first movie, so writing, directing, editing, producing, starring in it. Remember the first movie, Ben, had a budget of $20,000. The second movie had a budget of $5,000. Oh, my God. And here, here's my take. 
it is a significantly better movie. <laughs> so it wasn't weighed down by all that money. Yeah, I maybe. <laughs> Jason it was weighed down by under, all the choices he had. Yeah, he fell under the weight of his own budget in the first movie. <laughs> But okay, so so the sequel, I I go into like not knowing anything about it, and I'm just kind of like, okay, it has to involve you know cutthroat and all and, and charge like that whole thing, like the post credit scene was setting up. The entire movie is documentary style format that begins with this reporter trying to like figure out uh, something about the disappearance of this girl in like a small town, and I'm like, okay, who's this girl? It introduces you know through like documentary filmmaking that she was, you know, the uh, girlfriend of John charge, you know, when he was in high school after the whole rickshaw thing happened and that he went missing as well, but they think he's the prime suspect. Like he, they, he was in high school after the rickshaw thing. He's like 40 in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) doesn't matter. They don't, they can play younger because they're doing it. And so the the whole thing is like a lot of interviews where this reporter's like slowly like gathering this stuff and they're like you know talking to friends of of the girl's name is Allie Andrews and then we have I'm just, he's John Ford but I'll just keep calling him Charge and they interview like all these people that were in their lives and there's some people who were like you know oh he definitely did it like Allie's best friend is like he wasn't good for her like you know he would disappear for weeks at a time because it turns out they all know he's charged now like he was trying to keep his identity secret for a while. The friends of Charge are like, no, he didn't do it. Like, he loved her. All that kind of usual stuff. And then the movie actually does a very good job at, like, trickling out information that something else is going on. And, like, the big chunk of the movie is that Charge, like, while in hiding, he reaches out to the reporter and wants to give her, like, an exclusive interview. And in this interview, Charge, like, gives the whole, like, origin story of the four. And so, you know, the wall, shadow, cutthroat, and Charge... And he explains, like, how they were on, like, a camping trip, and this thing fell from the sky, and they went near it, and three of them got powers. One of them didn't, was Charge. So I guess I'll get out of the way now, Ben. Charge did train. So that's the thing. Like they said in the first movie, he just wanted to train to be strong. But apparently, he found a martial artist in, like, some random place in Asia that trained him in a way that he can build up calcium deposits around his bones for greater strength and defense. So he doesn't have a superpower. He has, like, an ancient martial art technique is what they reveal in this movie. You're th- I know you're going to have yeah. thoughts on that. <laughs> I, so I, I do have thoughts on this. There are a number of martial arts in the world, uh, and the one that comes to mind is Muay Thai, where they actually microfracture their bones to make their bones harder. Sure. This does not make you stronger. Yes. Yes. It also, well, it, it does. I mean, it does improve your ability to defend yourself in the sense that your arms and, and stuff become harder to break. Uh, the way that they do this in in Muay Thai is like they will repeatedly punch trees and okay. buckets of sand and shit like that to microfracture their their bones. They will um, bang their sticks with, or I'm sorry, bang their shins with sticks until they can get to the point where they can kick trees. Uh, and I don't know if they what they do for their arms. Probably something similar. Sure, sure. This does not make you stronger. <laughs> Definitely. And and charge was not micro fracturing. He just was basically the movie plays it. It doesn't say this in a, such a stupid way as I'm about to. But it basically says like he had a high calcium diet and it like fortified his bones. Like you know Wolverine's bones are fortified type of thing. That does not impact your muscles. 
at this in the slightest. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but then but then, Van, here's the thing. They should have given him a high protein diet and then he at least have muscle. Could have had muscles involved. <laughs> I don't anyway, alright, sorry. He, here's the thing though, it's revealed further on in this story that when when the wall died and then when Cutthroat does get killed, they, they reference Cutthroat getting killed off, uh, just in dialogue in this movie. They actually show a different superhero that we don't know, which they just call the Masked Man Killing Shadow, like in a videotape that he releases to the news. And apparently, each time one of the four died, Charge gained their powers. Oh my god. And the movie... So he did get a power from, from the stone. The ability to steal their powers. He does, he does have, like, actual powers in this one. I won't give, I won't give away everything in the sequel. I, I really liked how, like, how it was, like, very trickling out information. But the idea is that it gets, like, heavy into the lore of how they got their powers. And that basically there needs to be one superhero left. Once again, he's pulling from something else, Highlander, that will have all of the powers. And so, like, the movie ends with, like, the confrontation between them. There's, there's this whole little story about how there's all these other people throughout the world that we didn't know about in the first movie that also have powers. Some for good, some for bad, things oh like that. Oh, my God. That. So are you, are you telling me that some, one superhero is going around killing other superheroes to, to gather their powers and charge is, like... The unsuspecting victim, or whatever, like the 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 unsuspecting last standing superhero that this other superhero has to kill. Is that what you're telling me? Yes, that's yeah. That's where that's where that the is literally the plot of the one. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. It's also Highlander. Yep. <laughs> it's, I didn't I didn't realize Highlander was a power stealing thing. I just I remember there could be only one. Sure. No, it is. It is. There is some sense of powers stolen, like immortality okay. and stuff like that. Yeah. Because in, in the movie The One, Jet Li yep. goes through multiple universes killing the version of himself so he can get stronger. That's 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 what this is. And that jump is higher. Exactly oh what this that's is. Great. Awesome. So so I think uh, you know, I will leave anybody who wants to see the sequel. There is a twist at the end of who the masked man is, which It's to, actually also charge. To the <laughs> To to like the to the benefit of the movie, I didn't. I it took me longer to figure it out than I was. I expected myself to, which I always like. But I I do want to say, like I started this with, the sequel is a significantly better movie. It's still not a good movie. Don't get me wrong, but it is significantly better in the way that they they dole out information. The like charge isn't even the main character. Like the reporter is the main character, and there's actual like detective work that they do and things like that, which is way more interesting than you know they have to run from place to place in five minutes every you know fifteen minutes of the movie. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, high school level haunted house. Yes, this this one at least looked better because it was in like rooms and f- well furnished, well lit rooms like a do- like a documentary would. So they actually just use like family members' houses or something. Oh, that <laughs> that has to be what it is. Absolutely. Sweet. I, I'm probably gonna watch it. You, you've sold it to me. It's it's. I think it's worth seeing after the first one. Like, there's a lot of minor details that you'll pick up on Ben that reference the first movie, and it's like, oh, that makes a little more sense. Not that it changes anything we think about the first movie or that we've discussed, but it's like, oh, that's a little neat touch, you know, that type of thing. Right on. Right but it on. was. I was. I guess it might just be kind of like shock that. Because I watched, you know, the first one one day, and I watched the sequel the, the day after, and I was expecting almost the same fucking movie. And when it's mockumentary style, and I don't really know what's going on, there's a great part where they interview a bunch of people, 
and it, like, gets at the idea of the public opinion of superheroes, which, of course, was, like, the hot topic in, like, with Civil War around 2016, Marvel Civil War. Yeah. But it's pretty cool because it's not like, you know, Marvel Civil War was just, like, all our main characters arguing with each other in, like, the Avengers Tower. This is actually, like, oh, here's just a dude who's, like, you know, his, his missing an arm because he was collateral damage from a superhero. What does he think versus some woman whose, like, kid got saved? And I'm like, this is fairly interesting. <laughs> right on. Right on. So, yeah. Sounds pretty neat. Um, I'm definitely going to watch it. I would I would say uh, also so like I mentioned before Sean Whalen the guy who plays Manpower he shows up he's the cameraman of the documentary though so he's not that Manpower seems, <laughs> that seems like a good a good role for him like cameraman yeah yeah that's camera. and when you see because you know he's behind the camera most of the movie when you see him the few times he has the hat backwards like I mentioned nice <laughs> nice um, but it's him and Charge are the only people from the first movie that act in this one. Um, when Jill shows up and gets killed, she's wearing... Or she actually is invisible. They actually have, a, like, a slight invisibility special effect on her. But really? it's, like, very, very minor, so you can't see her face. Um, it, it's just it's just so... I don't know. I, I think it's... This is the way to make a sequel. Don't rehash the first one. Like, do something interesting with it. And that's exactly what he did. I don't know if we'll ever get all Superheroes Must Die 3... I don't know what they do. Um, maybe it's a crossover with the FP movies and the superheroes do Dance Dance Revolution. We can only hope. I'm, I'm curious if Rickshaw knew this thing about the superheroes' powers and he was actually a superhero trying so to gain their powers. The the um, the book, there, like, uh, this this book becomes a... There's like a, a book? Yes, so there's like a book that becomes like a plot point in the sequel that the okay. reporter gets from the father of one of the other superheroes that died. And but the book is like completely burnt because the superhero that had it was like could control fire. And for some reason, she like burnt it before she went missing. And so they have the burnt book and it like leads them down like what's not burnt or what they can still make out of the book leads them down this trail of like what the what's in the book. You know, what is the book about? And they do mention in one throwaway line of dialogue that Rickshaw was the one who wrote the book. So Rickshaw well, was totally aware of this whole lore and stuff going on with the superheroes. And, you know, they don't really get at, is that why he wanted them dead? Because he didn't. He was the loser. But it would have been interesting if it was like, oh, Rickshaw was doing this because he wanted our powers or something. Right. But none of that is there. But Rickshaw is definitely, like, still involved in this movie. There is a good part where in the interview with Charge and the reporter... Charge is like, I've never intentionally killed anyone. And I'm like, you fucking took a shotgun straight to Rickshaw's chest. And we know you didn't actually kill him, but you intended to kill him. <laughs> he intentionally killed three civilians. That's, that's true. That as well, yeah. <laughs> so I think Charge is, is an anti-hero. So I think that was all I had to say about um, this movie, the sequel. Anything you had left, Ben? Or are you ready to get to our questions? Uh... I think I'm ready for the. I think I'm ready for the questions. Okay, okay. I thought you were about to say, you know how we said 16 out of 10 before, 18 out of 10 now. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's actually 21 out of <laughs> seven. Perfect. <laughs> so uh, I think um, I think I'll start off. Uh, this is this is a tough one. I think for cinemodities, I'm gonna have to go no because the movie itself plays on that edge of like, is it good? Well, no. Is it a well-made film with the money they had? Is it a bad film? Like, I, I think I want to say yes to Cinemodity for Jason Trost. Like, I'm more interested in his ability to create a film that I need to see more of his movies to get a handle of 
But this movie is just so weird, as we've talked about, how there's stuff in both categories that I can't get a handle on it. And I don't think that's the movie's fault. I think that's his. He's the one responsible for that. For Late Night, I think um, this is also a tough one. I'm I'm tempted to say no, but if you had a right group of people, this would be good fun to watch, like we were saying before. Sure. Like, if you had – maybe, like, if you had some people who were, like, keen on the, the filmmaking stuff, like I talked about, you have some people who are maybe sick of the superhero genre, then you could get some laughs out of this. But I think, like, if someone doesn't really know what to expect and you put this on, that first scene in the – hardware store where the acting's really rough it'd be like what are we doing here you know it's like why are we watching this <laughs> yeah uh, okay okay i think for me cinemodity flat no this movie takes itself very seriously they if they if it hadn't had budget problems it would have been a very normal superhero movie sure so definitely not a cinemodity there are some odd things about it, but those are mostly revolving around budget deficits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna say no on the cinemodities for late night. Like what I, I I think you kind of covered this pretty well. This is not a movie I would just suggest to somebody to watch. Like if somebody texted me and they're like, "Hey, I'm looking for a movie to watch," and I knew nothing about who they were watching it with, I'm not gonna suggest this movie. Yep. If somebody texted me and they were like, hey, I'm looking for a really fucking stupid movie to watch so me and my friends can make fun of it, I this movie's on the list for sure. That's a, that's an interesting point. If someone was looking for, like, what's a bad movie that we can, like, laugh at, this might be near, like, the top of the list for me. I would 100% watch this over The Room ever again. Oh, of course. Yeah, The Room is garbage. I can't understand the people who, who like can sit through The Room. That's a movie where I'm like, there is nothing here. Like, this is just bad acting. <laughs> it's bad acting and discomfort is what I would describe the <laughs> as. This movie is bad acting and slight boredom, probably because I watched it alone. Sure. But also a couple a couple redeeming qualities, like like Lucas Teal hitting the ground over and over again with the chain. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and somebody named Sledge Saw, and somebody trying to use a regular chain as a chainsaw in the same scene, like that, it feels good. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's some there's some touches here that make it make it worthwhile. This is which is why I think it worked very well. It would have been if both of us imagine we did this and it was like, oh my god, there's nothing to talk about this movie. We have to pick something else for this episode. You know? Oh god, that's terrible. <laughs> so there's no, definitely stuff we've here. Done fine. For oh, an yeah. hour and fifteen minutes of a movie, we've pulled what over an hour of. Of us talking about it out of it. Definitely. Yeah, we're at an hour 44 already, so. Okay, yeah, so I mean, like, we've pulled a lot out of an hour yeah. and 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah, that's always a good sign. And we still got a little bit more left, which of course are our snacks. And so, whenever we have Fansgiving, uh, we reach out to the person that requested the movie, and we see if they have any ideas for snacks. And of course, I reached out to Barry, and I asked him about it, and he uh, threw some snacks at me. So, he says, snacks. The only thing food-related I could think of is something called dinner time. When someone orders this, a man dressed in a very patriotic and American flaggy suit approaches the customer, licking a big-ass knife. He keeps talking about eating them and how he really loves flamethrowers. That will probably scare the customer, as it should. But instead of killing the customer, a person dressed in a really shitty brown superhero costume comes in and the Patreon flips him off with a big foam finger and says, I want you. Then you know stabby stabby blood and general goriness. 
by this time, the customer will probably have pissed themselves. The Patriot will then eat the superhero and very politely offer them some of the guts as a sauce for some spaghetti. (laughs) I don't know any application for this, but I really want to incorporate a costumer's loved one being tied up to a bomb with a burning wick, and the only way they can save them is to trust some shitty-ass heroes to stop it. But no matter how much they scream to just pull out the damn wick, the heroes proceed to just pat it gently and act like that's all they can do. <laughs> right those those were his snacks, yes. <laughs> I'm glad to see that Barry... I think the second one can be like an attraction or an amusement park ride type thing. In the, <laughs> but I'm glad to see that Barry kind of focused on some of the same things I was focused on. Yes. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, you know, one of my snacks is... Um, I don't have a I don't have a good name for it. Maybe you can help me think of a name. But basically, it's a s'more. But instead of roasting the marshmallow on a campfire or something, a, a man dressed in an Uncle Sam suit comes out with a flamethrower, and and you you have to hold the marshmallow in your fingers and try to roast it <laughs> on the flamethrower. I like that. I like that. I think uh, yeah. All three of us were clearly on the same page because I was thinking we have a manpower walk around character with the flamethrower, and I was thinking he would just be used to like flambe any dishes we need flambe table side. Sure. So I think we just take all three of the things we said and we just make we have a manpower walk around character that does all of them. <laughs> Solid. So anytime they order dinner time, that that one guy who's flambeing. Maybe in the middle of flambeing something, has to drop whatever he's doing. <laughs> yes, yes. I, solid. I mean, yeah, how Def- do you not watch this movie and Manpower's not a standout? It's so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. I, I think that's really all that all that jumped out at me is like a, a snack. I mean, we could just start selling backpacks. And then everybody <laughs> can be like, why the fuck do you guys have backpacks? And we'll be like, we don't know. Yeah, we could throw them in the gift shop for sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying that that way like ties right in because like, why the fuck did he have a backpack? We still don't know. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't have too many snacks for this. This wasn't a very food-heavy movie, of course. Um, The last one that I had, I mean, and Manpower just steals the show when he talks about cannibalism, you know. The the only other one I had was that, you know, when people come in the restaurant, and just like any other restaurant, we always ask them, you know, would you want a table? Would you want a booth? But we add the option for coffins. And if people want coffins, we, we have, like, certain tables that are surrounded by upright coffins, we put the people's names over the coffin, and they have to stand upright, or maybe a little lean back, in the coffin as they're eating their meal. <laughs> so it'd be like a third type of eating or table experience. I think we can probably provide a safe place for people to commit suicide. If I think that I think the, the restaurant being an infinite void is already that thing. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you know. <laughs> just put, here's your coffin, you know, just in case, in case anything goes wrong during this meal. If you can't pay, you better get in here. There's a gun. <laughs> So I don't know if you guys already have those like little triangle tabletop table looking things that you put on pizzas to keep the box from touching the cheese. Oh, sure, sure. We can just replace those with trampolines. <laughs> <laughs> like, nice. It's just a little trampoline. It's so, like the box lid is just bouncing a little bit like the whole time. Um, I like that. I like that. So I think we could do that. Yeah. Oh, the speaking of which, why don't we take a like backyard trampoline, uh, rig it up with like the, the rustiest and, and, you know, most tetanus-inducing chain-link fence we can and throw it in the kids' portion of the restaurant. <laughs> Definitely. And there's no opening. I, I don't want there to be an opening. Like, the kids have to climb over the chain-link fence to get into the trampoline. Or, you know, maybe be ingenuitive and find a way to tear a hole in the fence. <laughs> 
I think that this is a perfect activity for definitely, the kids. Definitely, definitely. And we'll have occasionally we'll have manpower manpower just walk over there and like flame up the fence, get it nice and hot. <laughs> yep, yep, I like that. <laughs> oh, perfect. Sludge saw. It's really nothing to say about Sludge Saw. He's not even interesting in the fight. No, I mean it's just a dude without a shirt on, right? Like he no, have... he has he has like a vest on or something. Oh, okay. He like, <laughs> he like headbutts charge and stuff, and like I don't know. There's really nothing. Uh, we could sell eye patches. Ooh, okay. Jason Trost Halloween costume. Wearing yes, eye patch. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, which I, I'm glad that you pointed that out. That he is like blind in his right eye because. The whole time I was watching that, I was like, if I were Charge, I would just take the, the fucking mask off. That I, I thought that same thing. I was like, this is a very interesting decision to have half of your face covered the whole movie. And then I was like, oh, that's just his life decision. Yeah. I just mean from the standpoint of like, his, I was like, oh, man, like, like one part of your view is obscured. The yep. other part's not. Like that can't be – like that's going to make you sick probably walking around with that. But he just can't <laughs> see out his right eye. So that's – you know. That's fine. We could we could sell like half masks. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, who's dressing up as Charge for Halloween? <laughs> we we should sell sunglasses, but like there's just one lens is popped out. And it's, <laughs> it's like you don't need to you don't need to protect that eye. You yep. only need to protect this eye. <laughs> a whole bunch of like just a whole assortment of of one eyed objects. <laughs> Okay, if Jason Truss does listen to this episode, this is all in good fun, Jason. We're not making fun of you. <laughs> no, absolutely not. We want the I, Jason it, Truss line. He has to come on not only to talk about this movie and his other movies, but to pitch the Cinemodities Jason Truss line of eyewear. <laughs> and, you know, I'm dead serious. We can, like, 3D print these things. We can sell them. Split some of the profits with you if you want. <sighs> oh, God. Maybe it'll fund your next movie. Give you, like, 375 you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll tell him that he's getting half, but he's actually only going to get a quarter because he can only see <laughs> half of the half. No, I, I, I think I'm done poking fun of the eyelessness. And, and, you know, with all due respect, Jason Trost, we think you're a genius. Yeah, you've made some crazy movies that we got a lot out of. I don't know when I'll see the FP, but that one, it'll be interesting to see how that compares to All Supers Must Die because that's the one that got good reviews. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. So I think that brings us then to the end. Uh, how do we end this? And uh, even though there's not a lot of music in here, I did mention it earlier. In that flashback scene, there's some there's some like heavy score with like this guitar that just like hit me like a ton of bricks because I was like, why is there music in this movie all of a sudden? So I figured we should just take that and play it in reverse. Okay, uh, I think I can get on board with that. Um, but I take I want to do one last shout out. If you've listened this long. You're our prime candidate for Patreon. Definitely. Come give us money and listen to this. We, we do more of this talking nonsense about movies and Adventure Time. So yep. come check us out. Yep. So I have Patreon. no idea what next week's episode for Fansgiving is going to be. Uh, we'll figure that out. We'll burn that bridge when we get to it, as I like to say. And sure. uh, so, But tune in next week. We'll have another Fansgiving. Um, hopefully it will uh, be entertaining. I don't think it, I don't think we'll ever get another movie quite like this one for a while. So, <laughs> thanks, Barry. Yes, yeah, thank you, Barry. Uh, <laughs>